Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. We're here in the house of the Lord. We've been talking about being a connected people, a bonded people, a united people, uh, really beginning back in October, talking about just getting rid of some of the things in front of us, barriers, walls. If uh, you've missed any of our services, if you're visiting, I want to kind of catch you up in just a minute or two. We uh, spoke about the things that might block our vision or keep us from seeing others, from maybe having prejudices in our life and just getting rid of those things, knocking down those walls, those barriers. And together, young and old, all of us, the whole church, every single person here, that we would embody one generation. We use Psalm 24 as our backdrop. And it talked about a generation that seeks God's face. And we all here, all of us, uh, leading the church, uh, Pastor Julie and I both, and, and every one of the ministers on staff, that's our heart, that's what we want to see. We want to uh, see our church just knit together as one, seeking God's face. And of course, it's reminiscent, goes all the way back to... June of 2016, where we did, began to talk about Second Chronicles 26.5 and King Uzziah, that as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And that's the kind of success we want here. We don't want our name lifted high. We want Jesus' success. We want what he has for his church. So we want to be that generation together, united, seeking his face, and a church that's an answer to the prayer of Jesus. So at uh, the end of October and beginning of November, we started talking about the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Not the Lord's Prayer you read in Matthew 5, not that prayer, no, the other Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer and, and the night before he was going to be crucified, where he really just poured out his heart. And I've, I've said it a few times to think about that. Think about what you would be doing if you knew you were going to die. If you knew your life was coming to an end, what would be your prayer? And Jesus prayed for us. He didn't just pray for the people then. He prayed for those who would come to believe. And that's you and me. If we've come to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus prayed for us. And he prayed that we would be those who would believe. He said, I pray also, Father, for those who will believe in me, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So this, this connection of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the connection that God has together with the three persons of the Godhead, this is what Jesus was praying for all of us. It's an amazing, ambitious, remarkable prayer. It should really stop us in our tracks when we read it to read that, that Jesus would want us united that closely. I and him and you and me. Jesus went on. He said the word then. Then something would occur. And this is what I believe is the vision of Jesus. The vision of Jesus for his church, for his kingdom. He said, then, Father, they will know that you sent me. And they will know that you have loved them. Even as you've loved me. Jesus was saying that when Others see a united, bonded people. 
there will be a realization, an attraction, something they'll notice. And he's saying, Father, they'll, they'll know that you loved them. He loved them so much. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us. Jesus prayed for that unity, added the word then. Then the world will know. When the church is united, they'll know that Jesus was sent by the Father. It's more than extraordinary. It's, it's beyond remarkable that Jesus would pray this. And he wants that vision fulfilled. I truly believe it. Why else would he pray for it? Do you pray for something you don't want? Do you pray for something you don't desire? Of course not. Be you praying for something that would occur and something to happen? And Jesus had this vision that the world would see something. And then they would have this realization. And so last week we talked about how this was an, an ambitious prayer of Jesus. And why was it ambitious? Why would it be ambitious to pray for unity? Because disunity, because discord is, that's the human situation, isn't it? You can just look around everywhere. There isn't too much unity. It's people divided, people fighting, nation against nation, people against people. But Jesus, for his kingdom, is praying unity. We need to be together in this. We need to be together as a church. So we backed up. Last week we backed up and said, let's discuss this. What, do we, what would be then uh, step one to fulfilling Jesus' vision. If step one for his vision was a united church, what would, you be, what would be an initial step to be united? And we looked at uh, the book of Romans. We looked at the book of Romans where the apostle Paul writes all kinds of theology and doctrine, and then he begins to write practical help in Romans 12. Romans 12 opens with an example of unity, the body, the body of Christ, like our own bodies. My fingers are connected to my hands, and, and my hands connected to the wrist and everything. You know, it's all got to work together. And if one piece hurts, the rest of the body hurts. And we heard about Jackson Allen. He broke his hand. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. And I'm sure he's hurting in, in other places because he's got a, a bone in his hand hurting because the body's knit together. And when one piece hurts, the rest hurts. And we rejoice with them that rejoice, mourn with them that mourn, the apostle said. So in Romans 12, 4 and 5, let's look at that. Let's just look a little briefly at his uh, example of the body. Paul wrote, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. It's just a picture of this human body. He's using uh, that example. He uses it more than once. He wrote the letter to the Corinthians, same thing, Romans, or uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He, Paul said, hey, there's this body. It's called the body of Christ. Let me tell you what it's like. It's like your own human body. Everything's got to connect together and work, and one part can't despise the other. You know, the foot can't be angry at the hand or the elbow or anything. It's all got to work together. It's not two. It's not many. It's one. So as a local church, 
We want to reflect that. We should be one. Jesus prayed for that. He prayed for that. He describes, uh, Paul describes it uh, at the uh, open of Romans 12. And then he begins to write these great practical little helps for us. And if it's right after unity, I'll say, well, this is what he's showing us to be united. So last week we just touched on the very first aspect after he rolled out of this example of being a a body. So it's just a few verses later, Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 9. We talked about verse 9 and 10. I want to read to you this morning 9 through 13. We'll pick up where we left off after verse 10. I say 9 and 10 was first step, and today will be some next steps, so to speak. Romans 12, 9 through 13 then. Just, just after Paul says, we're like this body, he then says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is just like a little staccato, boom, 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 boom. Here's some things for you to consider. So we covered verses 9 through 11 last week saying, be sincere. Be sincere. Be genuine in your love. No pretenses, no guile, no facades, no forgeries, no counterfeits, nothing fake. I know sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes it's difficult for us. We talked about working on that a little. And I call this step one to fulfilling Jesus' prayer. Step one to unity is this sincere love. It's sincere love in our uh, church body that we would be completely united. And we closed last week saying that when such love is truly sincere, that it's lived out not just inside these walls. It's not that I I love you and then I leave here and, well, that goes away or I don't love other people. That shouldn't be our attitude. It's that it's inside and then that's got to extend outside the borders of the church. As a matter of fact, that's really what Jesus was praying for, that others would see that and be attracted to it. And I closed by saying the church isn't the home of isolationists. No, we have to, we have to get out. If we isolate ourselves uh, like an island, that's not going to advance anything. We're not going to get the gospel out or share the love of Christ with anyone if we wall ourselves up and we become like an island. So I believe Paul, he gave us something to think about there, and I called it step one to being the answer to Jesus' prayer. And now, today, beyond that, I believe Paul presents more for us, other steps. And I'll say they're not exactly specific. Do this very narrowly. No, he gives us really some broad things to consider. They're not very specific. They're broad. They have a wide range of application. So what I call them is directional steps. They're not exacting instructions. They're they're more along the lines of, go this way. Take your steps this way. Walk this direction. Scripture often emphasizes walks, doesn't it? It emphasizes our walk 
Again, another metaphor like Paul uses the body, Scripture uses walking. And the word walk is somewhat constant in Scripture. And it it expresses the course of one's life, the direction of one's life. The Old Testament says Enoch walked with God. It says other things like thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So he's walking the other way. And then others, walk while you have the light. Walk circumspectly. These are just a few examples. The scripture is full of these examples of how we, how we uh, move in the direction of our life. It's full of examples of our walk. Walking is a matter of steps. It's not a matter of leaping from here to some other place. There's very few times that type of things in Scripture. You might read about Philip who was transported in the Spirit. That's a very one-time unique uh, experience in the Bible. That's not how we all experience things. We all experience things by moving through time and walking in our life. So walking is a matter of steps. And here in uh, Romans, I can easily apply this. I can look at Paul's instructions as steps. So we've talked about step one. And now, these that follow, I say, they, they paint this direction for us. And it means beyond the first steps. It's beyond the first steps. First steps are important. They're a great event. Think about uh, a little child. Have you ever watched the first step of a little child? It's a great moment. Your eyes are on the little foot, and, and, and you're doing this kind of thing so that little baby won't fall, but you're not, you're not going to... You're not touching. You're watching that little foot move. And in this day and age, there's typically, uh, you know, 16 cell phones on it, and, and they're posting that on social media. They're live Facebooking it or whatever because it's a great event. It's a wonderful event, that first step. And then what happens? Well, after the, after the little child begins walking, you're not so much interested in those steps. You're you're interested in direction because there's a lot of bad places now that little child can walk to. They can walk down the stairs. I had that painful event in my own life. I let my little daughter, first, my firstborn, tumble down the stairs. It was a bad day, bad day, bad, really, uh, because... My wife, Julie, had mentioned close the door. And I didn't. And I wasn't watching the direction that my little child was moving. So I took care of that. I immediately put a spring loaded on the door, and it wasn't ever going to... But it was too late. Too late. That direction had already occurred. We have to watch direction sometimes, because sometimes our our children want to go off in the wrong direction. So we encourage, no, no, this is the way to go. Walk ye in it. Walk this way. Go this direction. And that's what I believe the apostles doing here. He says, do these things. Go this way. He instructs, love sincerely, hate evil, be devoted to one another's in honor, honor one another's above yourselves. And then 
come these verses 11, 12, and 13. And I say uh, they're directional. And before he really gets to this, okay, here's, your, here's the direction I want you to go, he sort of interjects this little bit of, a, uh, of an, an attitude, outlook, encouragement, I'll call it. And that's verse 11. In verse 11, it's, it's packed in here between this love and, and the idea of which direction we're going. It's a way to check our attitude. Someone once said, your outlook will determine your outcome. And there's truth in that, that your outlook will have an effect on your outcome or where you're going. I think Paul interjects verse 11 here just to encourage this, because these things are not always easy, the things that he is asking us to do. So verse 11, he writes, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So he positions this in here. It's a negative, a, a, a positive, and then I'll say an objective. So the, the negative is never. You know, it's a not. That's a negative in our language. Don't do this. Do not do this. Do not do what? Do not be lacking in zeal. Now, that's easy to say. That's very easy to say. It's hard to do sometimes when life is drudgery, when life is hard, when life is pain, when life is illness or hardship. It's difficult. And he doesn't leave us hanging there. He doesn't just say, okay, don't do this. Now he encourages then, let's turn it positive. Keep your spiritual favor, fervor. Keep your spiritual fervor. And this is not a past tense or, you know, you once were. He, he's not saying something about the future. You know, in the, in the days to come, I want you to show fervor. No, it's the present tense. Keep your fervor. Have it now. He's not saying, well, I want you to get up in the morning, acknowledge your heavy burden, acknowledge your troubles, and have an eye towards something better in the future. No. No, wake up zealous. Wake up with some spiritual fervor. And what is this word fervor? Fervor is beyond just enthusiasm. It's beyond excitement. Fervor is uh, somewhat an archaic word that meant intense heat, burning, burning. So there's a connotation of an intense burning with this word that the apostle uses. So he is saying, keep your burning, keep your heart burning, have this intense burning. What, what did we sing today? Hearts burning bright like a fire. This is what the apostle is writing here in his, in his letter to encourage. Keep that going. Keep the burning. And a burning to what? It's not just a burning for uh, something uh, that's undefined. No, he says it's a burning to serve the Lord, keeping God as number one, despite the evil in the world and we saw it all plainly again last week. We saw it all too plainly. I didn't even watch any news last Sunday. It wasn't until Monday, and I heard about this, you know, this, the church sh sh shooting, and it's insane, us, an insane person, you know, to do these kinds of things. And Paul was familiar with this kind of thing. He was familiar with this kind of evil. He knew that this world, evil was in the world. He experienced this evil. And he's really encouraging, don't focus on it. 
Have that burning desire to serve the Lord. Don't drop your zeal. Don't drop the zeal. There's the negative. Keep the fervor. There's the positive. To serve the Lord. There's the objective. That's the objective. It's, it's an interjection here of, uh, of encouragement because he's going to move on. On the heels of this exhortation, he gives some direction now, and I see it two ways. After the, the initial step, the step one of, of love, sincerely and genuinely, he points the way. And I, I see it as two ways, upward and outward. So in short, I think the, the apostle saying, maintain a burning desire to serve the Lord and now take a step up and take a step out. Don't stay in, go out. And I, I want to uh, look at these two directions. Upward, I say that's verse 12, and outward, that's verse 13. And I want to start with the outward. I want to start with verse number 13 here, where the apostle says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. I want to unpack this a little bit this morning. I see this as a step out, and it's clear. It is an outward direction. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. How can you share with the Lord's people who are in need unless you are actually reaching out to them, right? So at, and at first glance, it seems that Paul is saying, okay, this is an in-house operation, though. He says it's the Lord's people. He gives that designation, share with the Lord's people. So does that mean he's saying just share with the people who are in here, in these walls, right around us? Yes and no. He is saying, yes, share with the Lord's people, but we're not just the Lord's people here. So we will share in God's house. This is a family. It is the family of God. We've read many times about the New Testament saying we're adopted like sons. We're children of God. First, or the first chapter of the Gospel of John says, as many who could believe on him will be called the children of God. That's us who believe in Jesus Christ. And the apostle says then, share with others that are in the Lord's house. And if you do that, it's just going to get easier to share more. We have so many here. I know we have so many, so, so many who are generous, who anonymously help out. If the need gets mentioned, I've often heard about how that need has been met. And sometimes it's not even mentioned really publicly at all. And we're going to hear one of those stories. We are going to hear one of those many testimonials on, on Thanksgiving Eve, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Someone's going to testify they had a need. And someone in this church just walked right up, met that need. And then there's, there's actually a few amazing more uh, needs that were met in this testimony. And they're not that unusual because so many here see others and they do exactly what the Word says. They prefer others above themselves. They share with those who are in the house of the Lord. But you know, Paul wrote to other churches he wrote to the church in Corinth and Galatia and Philippi. And in those letters, you read about how he talks about their giving, not just among themselves, but he says, you've got to give to a, this other church, this church in Jerusalem. They're hurting. 
there has been a famine. You, uh, I want you to uh, save up some. I'm coming around and we're going to collect that. He was pretty open about it. And our gifts uh, go beyond the walls of the church. That's why we have a missions program. That's why we help the missionaries who uh, have churches in other lands or, or are training pastors and leaders of churches. Our gifts help many brothers and sisters that we're never going to meet face to face. We'll meet them in glory. So we're people that practice that. And Paul moves forward and he gives just two more words, two more words in this verse. Practice hospitality. Hospitality is another form of generosity and it's pointedly outward. We can practice hospitality as individuals. We can practice hospitality as families. Treat others to a meal, take them out, open the doors of our house, bring them in, invite them into our circles. There's a lot of uh, great examples of this in Scripture. There's a lot of great dinner parties in Scripture. Jesus went to the house of Simon the Pharisee in a great feast. Jesus was at the house of uh, Lazarus, his friend. There's the the, uh, incidences of Matthew when he was called uh, to follow Jesus. There's the incident of uh, Zacchaeus where he opened up his house and he had a great feast and Jesus was there. And in most all of these, most all of these, what do we read? We read there's an accusation. There's an accusation that come at these great dinner parties. Imagine you're having a great dinner party. You've taken the time to plan. You've made the food. You're, you're serving your guests, and, and people are pointing a finger at you. How could you let that person in your house? Those are sinners. Oh, Jesus is consorting with sinners, they would say. And Jesus responded, and Jesus would say, that's the point. I didn't, come for the, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. How else am I going to meet them? And you know what? I have a cure for what ails them. I have a cure for these that you're calling sinners. I have a cure for them to get out of their sin. I have a way for them to be reconciled unto their creator God. Now, isn't that important? And if it's occurring at a dinner, yet he was accused of consorting with sinners. He had the cure. And as a church, we have a cure. We have the cure. We have Jesus. So we can be that church that practices hospitality. Yes, individually. Yes, as families, but also as a church. We're not isolationists. Our church is open, and we want it open. We want it open. Again, I will say, Pastor Julie and I and uh, our uh, ministers, we want the doors of the church to be open. We want to be uh, a church that extends beyond these walls. And we want to reach out, and we want to make invitations to others and say, hey, We want you here. You can be involved. See what's here. We're one. We're united. We have a common bond in Jesus Christ. We're singles. We're families. We're young and we're old. And we're we're all a part of this. And we want to get out into our neighborhoods right around this, this church. We want to be a local church. And you know what? We're going to do just that. 
we are going to go out into the neighborhoods in and around this church. And we are going to let people know there's a church here. And, and we are, we're not weird or crazy. Or, we are normal people who just happen to love Jesus. And we'd like to share that with you. So we're going to do that. How are we going to do that? You might just be scratching your head asking that question. Well, we're going to do it very soon. And I'm inviting all of you to participate. We're going to go, in, we're going to go out to these neighborhoods in and around our church, just right out here in the neighborhoods of Sterling Heights, in groups of about 10. And we're going to go caroling in the neighborhoods around us. And I want you all to be a part of it. We're, I'm inviting you to step out with all of us. We're going to do it on December 9th, and we're going to meet here in the evening as a church, and then we're going to bust out into groups, and we, we're going to have the, the area gridded out, and we're going to say, go to this section and do some caroling and make invitations. If someone comes to the door of their house, if they hear you caroling, we have something to give them. Our ladies met this week. Uh, Pastor Julie made what she called a party with a purpose. And the purpose was to make a little, just a little gift for people. It's a little ornament that has a scripture on it. And we want to give that out because the word of God is powerful. And you know, just seeing that one scripture might be enough for someone to say, oh, there's something that I need there. These people actually came out in the cold and they sang Christmas carols. Maybe I should go visit that place that I've driven by uh, for 16 years and I thought it was a mall. I've heard that. And then afterward, we'll meet back here. We're going to have some hot chocolate. Uh, we're going to share our experiences. And you know what? If you're worried and you say, oh, I can't go out in the cold, come anyway. Because we want a group of people here in our chapel praying as we go. To pray over the neighborhoods, to pray over the people. Can you do it? Can you do it? I I'm going to ask you right now to stand up. I want to just, I know I'm in, the, I'm in the middle of my message. I'm not done yet, okay? I'm not done. I'm just, I'm letting you know that. I want you to stand up with me and stand up. No, no, I see you all in the back there. I'm inviting you all to stand. Stand up. Come on, stand up because I'm, I want to ask you to do something with me. All right. I know you all know how to sing Christmas carols. So I'm just going to invite you to sing a carol with me. Okay? Now, I know there's many here that are, they're not going to, they're thinking, oh, they're, uh, if I'm amplified, it's going to be crazy. That's true. I'll admit it. But help me. Help me because I know you can. How many here know, uh, oh, come all ye faithful? Okay? All right. Well, then help me out, okay? Help me out. We're going to start one, two, three. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, 
Born the King of angels, oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Y'all pass your audition. And you may be seated. You all pass your audition. I would have opened my door if I heard that. I would have said, what's going on? And I would have received your little gift. Let's do this. Let's make an effort to step out into our neighborhoods and offer them a simple invitation to what's happening here during our Christmas season that Christ Jesus is central. We can do it. We can do it. Let's step out, but let's also step up. All right, if we're going to go in the direction of out, let's also go up. Let's go outward and upward. Upward, I believe, is verse number 12. Paul wrote, he wrote, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Paul's not pointing down here. He's pointing up. This is a God focus. This is an eternal focus. If we step out, we need to step up, reach for God, seek God. And Paul says, be joyful in hope. Now, what is this hope? Is this an encouragement uh, toward wishful thinking? I don't think so. This is not, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. That's wishful thinking. Oh, it's getting close to Thanksgiving. I hope Kroger's hasn't run out of turkeys. Well, can you be joyful with that kind of hope? Oh, I don't think so. I'd rather believe that uh, there's a certain amount of nervousness and anxiousness in such hope. Oh, I hope the store has the turkeys. But if not, if not, oh, Thanksgiving's going to be ruined. It's going to go, oh, what will I do? Cook a ham? I can't do that on Thanksgiving. No, that's no certainty. There is no certainty in that kind of hope. That's just wishful thinking. The hope that Paul writes about here is not a wishful thinking. It's a certain hope. It is a certainty. Paul was the one who also wrote this. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now, if you have Christ in you, you are going to glory. All right? You have an eternal destination with Christ in you. That's why we're here. It's what Jesus is all about, to reconcile us to our creator, that we could live with him in eternity. And, and Paul wrote, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that's not wishful thinking. That's a certainty. Jesus Christ died for us. He went to a cross and he gave his very life and he died for us. And then he was resurrected from the dead. It showed the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was brought back to life and he ascended into heaven. And he said he's gone to prepare something for us. That's amazing. That's spectacular. That's wonderful. And it's a word, I'll just say it's awesome. It is. It's, it is awesome that Jesus would go prepare a place for us. And he sent his spirit to live in us, Christ in us. It's the hope 
of glory. That is a certainty that we can rejoice in. That is a certainty that we can be joyful in. Not, not in some wishful thinking where there is no joy. No, it's a certainty. And when you uh, have that, then the next is easy. Patient in affliction it's kind of a little interlude here in this upward look, but Paul wrote to uh, others. He wrote to the Corinthians, for example, and he said, our troubles and our afflictions, they are achieving something for us. And he said it's an eternal glory. There's something about what we're experiencing here that's going to benefit us in glory. The, you know, the Bible talks about receiving rewards for the things that occur to us here on this earth. And Paul says, your troubles and afflictions are achieving something in eternal glory. And let me tell you how he described the affliction, though. Before he said it's achieving for you something in eternal glory, you know what he said? He said the problems, the afflictions, they're light and they're momentary. Now, I know it doesn't feel that way. When you're hurting, it doesn't feel like it's light. When you have a burden that's heavy, it doesn't feel like it's a moment. Sometimes it can feel like a minute's an hour. An hour is a day. A day's a week. And yet, the apostle says these are light and momentary because he says, consider that hope that you have in Christ. Again, he wrote this to the Corinthians that you have this hope in eternal glory, and it far outweighs any trial tribulation that we could have here on this earth. Thus, he could say it's light and it's momentary. Well, yeah, compared to eternity, of course it is. But that's what he's saying. Aim high. Aim up. Aim to the, to the Lord God who created you. Aim to eternity. And this is from a person who said, this, the man who wrote, it's light and momentary, he's not being uh, trite about it. He's not uh, saying, well, I'll write it down. You know, he experienced a few things in his life, and he wrote about them. And I'll just give you a little synopsis of what he wrote. He, he wrote this again to the Corinthian church. He said, listen, I've been in prison. I've been in prison more than once. I've been flogged. As a matter of fact, five times the Jews lashed me 39 times. He said, three times I've been beaten with rods. He said, I was uh, stoned and left for dead. Three times I've been shipwrecked. I've been out in the open sea for a, a day and a night. He said, I've been constantly in danger. I'm on the move all the time, constantly in danger from unbelievers. I'm constantly in danger of Jews. I'm constantly in danger of Gentiles. I'm constantly in danger of uh, bandits. He's constantly in danger of terrorists trying to kill him. You know, this is a guy that knew about affliction. But he said, be patient. Be patient. Aim up. Step up. And be joyful. Be joyful because you have a hope that is certain. Be patient in that affliction. And then finally, faithful in prayer. These are just simple sentences. Two, three, four words. Faithful in prayer. There are some English versions of our, uh, of our Bible that render this word faithful in a little bit stronger way. Words like devoted. It says be devoted in prayer, continuing steadfastly in prayer, pres uh, persevering in prayer. 
Now, I don't want to strain at the word to make it something more than it is. I don't want to try to tell you that the apostle said, your life must be 100% devoted to prayer. You need to cloister yourself and pray all day and all night. No, that's not what he's suggesting. But he is using a strong word here. It's, it's a somewhat unique Greek term. It isn't used much in the New Testament. And it's really not used outside of biblical text to our knowledge that we have anything to compare it to. But it seems to be a stronger word than uh, say, saying just stay faithful, but really per- persevere, be devoted to this. When our hope is in uh, Christ and when we suffer, we have a God that we can go to in prayer. And I, I think there's people here that can testify to that this morning that could raise their hand and say, yeah, I, I was in a big struggle. I was having issues. I was having a, a trial in my life. But I've been a person that's prayed. I've been a person that's devoted to prayer. I can look out here and I can see some faces of people. And I know that you've had extended difficulties, illnesses. And I also know that you've been devoted to prayer. And I know some of you who have come through. That God has brought you through. And you can speak of his goodness. And some may even be able to say, it really was light and momentary. Now that I look back on it, that's hard to do. I know it is, and I know it's, it, it, it's not a, arrived at in an instant. It's a process. It's a walk. And Paul's directing us to walk outward and upward. Of course, there are times when we struggle with all of what the apostle said. We struggle with sincere love. We struggle with being genuine. We struggle sometimes with stepping out into the world. When we're challenged to share our faith, I understand that. I know it. I've lived it. Sometimes we struggle to step up, to step up and focus on God and keep our aim high and even to be faithful in prayer. And that's why today we close in prayer. Today, We invite our elders to these altars, and I want to invite them right now because they're open for you. They're open for everyone in this church. We're knit together as a body that's one. The Word of God says, if there's any among you who are sick or weak, call for the elders of the church and have them anoint you with oil. Our elders are here to follow that biblical direction, to anoint you with oil. And if you can't walk to the front this morning, if you're in the back, we have some of our elders just right there on the, at the crossover aisle, just raise your hand. They'll come and pray for you. This is a great opportunity to, to talk to the Lord and have an, have an elder bond with you and be a channel of blessing and do exactly what the Word says. If you have a physical need today, we want to pray with you. Beyond that, though, if, you have, if you've struggled with anything that we've talked about the past couple of weeks, whether it's being sincere in your love, whether it's sharing the gospel with others, whether it's being hospitable and opening your doors, whether it's just maybe struggling with the fact that you're going through something and you say, Lord, this isn't light and it isn't momentary. I need your help. 
This is why we're here this morning. So let's pray. I want to invite any and all to come to these altars. And if you're not coming, please pray at your seat. Let's keep an attitude of devotion, love, praise, worship, and prayer as others come to these altars. Father, I just ask your grace right now upon these elders. Lord, that they would be true channels of your blessing this morning. God, we want to be people that just follow your word and your word invites us. Your word tells us that if we're sick, we can call on the elders. And Lord, we take time this morning to do that as we close our service. Bless these elders, Lord. And if any are in these seats, God, that need to be prayed for, Lord, I just pray you would... um, I pray that you would move upon their hearts, that they would step out. If there's any in this sanctuary that don't know you as Lord and Savior, that haven't come to the, the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ as the one who can reconcile us back to our Creator, who can eliminate our sins when we repent, God, I pray that that person would step out too and just come to be prayed for and even ask, what's next? So Lord, bless it. Bless our time. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.